Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, last week we started this series uh, looking at this letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And what we noted was that uh, the church at Corinth was uh, a church that had a lot, of, a lot of issues, a lot of problems. In fact, as we look through 1 Corinthians, what we're going to notice is that what Paul is essentially doing is he's dealing with one problem after another. One situation, one circumstance that's dividing this church, that, that is causing problems for this church's witness and so forth. Um, but what we noted was that the, the fact that we have this letter shows us that there is hope for even the most messed up of situations, even the most uh, uh, troubling circumstances that sometimes plague the church, sometimes plague individual members, can find um, resolution, can find response. And, and Paul is essentially writing this letter to try and get the Corinthians to recognize that we are in the process of becoming who we are. And we started last week by noting who we are. We are Christians. And, and we looked at what that meant and how it means to, to be set apart, how, to, how it means to be different, how it means to be uh, a, a people who are, who are driven by God's purposes, by Christ's purposes, and, and a, a people who finds fellowship with one another. So as we continue on in chapter 1 today, we find Paul dealing with probably the core issue that uh, really is kind of underlying every other issue he's going to deal with uh, throughout the book of Corinthians, and that is disunity. The church was divided. Paul had spent uh, a year and a half amongst this congregation teaching them, instructing them, helping them to see what it meant to be a believer, guiding them in this new way of life for many of them. Um, though there were Jews in the congregation um, who had some sense of Judaism and the Old Testament and so forth and how that shaped your life, many of the converts were, uh, were Greek, had no previous knowledge. And one of the things that we know about Corinth as a city, even outside the church, is it was known as um, the most decadent of the Greek cities. It was known as, as a location where all sorts of um, problematic, sinful activities took place. Um, it was not a place you wanted to, to be found. Um, perhaps... Uh, one of the closer equivalents for us today would be Las Vegas. If we think of Las Vegas, we tend to think of that city as a, as a city that's Sin City. I mean, that's what it's called, right? I mean, isn't that the nickname for Las Vegas, uh, Sin City? Um, that would be Corinth in the ancient world, probably even more so than even what we have, it, though, in Las Vegas. I mean, it, it, was, it was a very decadent city. And so you have people coming out of that background, people coming out of that, that mindset and that perspective and that lifestyle. And they've responded to Christ, and they found their basic instruction. But now, as things are starting to develop, as the church is starting to, to get its footing, as the church is starting to get its ground, you, you find divisions starting to occur. Isn't that the way Satan often works? That just as things start to gain ground, just as things start to, to build, just as things start to represent who Christ called us to be, 
He steps in and, and he sows division. He sows heartache and sin and pain. And so Paul addresses that here today uh, in our passage this morning and, and, and gives us some pointers on, on perhaps how to, to move beyond that. Beginning in verse 10, chapter 1, we read, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What am I saying? What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, that is Peter, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Paul here, as he's addressing the church, he, he, he offers some, some observations about what it is that's dividing the people, what it is that, that's that's causing the people to go in different directions. And if, if we consider these, we, what we come to discover, what we come to recognize are, are three warning signs of Christians who have lost their way. Three warning signs of, of things that, that can creep into our hearts and into our minds and into our thoughts that can lead us to not represent Christ the way we were intended to. We talk about the sweet fellowship we enjoy here, and, and there is a sweet fellowship in um, y'all are a very friendly church. Uh, even uh, even people who come and visit who, for whatever reason, decide this is not the church for them, one of the comments I almost always get from them is, man, they were the friendliest church I visited. They were there to, to greet me and welcome me and, and, and those sorts of things. And, and I, I think that's just, that's wonderful. That's, that's a gift. It's a rarity. So as your pastor, I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for that for that friendliness, that outgoingness. But even in a friendly church like this, even in a church with fellowship like this, there can sometimes be seeds of dissension planted, seeds of of disunity. Expressions and attitudes begin to take hold that that really are not healthy for our unity, not healthy for our future. And Paul outlines three of those here in this passage. The, the first thing he warns about is losing perspective of the whole of Christian theology. When he, when he talks about Christ being divided here and that there be no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding, the same, uh, same concerns, convictions. What he's saying there is that this church had developed different priorities in terms of the theology. And, and it can happen today. I, I've seen it, you know, so some people get wrapped up in, in eschatology. That's the study of last days. And there's nothing wrong with studying the last days or being interested in it or being, uh, you know, even uh, driven in some ways by 
study of it, that, that that's your thing and you love to do it. Others can get wrapped up in, in maybe soteriology, that, that is how we're saved, and you have the whole Calvinism predestination debate. And what inevitably happens when when a group or when individuals get, get caught up in these in these things is that becomes all they're interested in. Again, there's nothing wrong with studying how it is that we're saved or how God's will and sovereignty works with our free will or, or what the end times are going to look like or, or uh, any number of, of other issues that sometimes drive us. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes our goal, when that becomes our interest, when that becomes our focus instead of the entire testimony of Christ, instead of the entire fellowship of the church, then we start to fracture. And good things, good thoughts, good studies become things that drive us apart. Oh, you're not of my group? You, you don't see salvation in terms of free will, predestination, same way I do? Well, then I'm not sure you're really a believer. Oh, you're, you're, not, you're not premillennialist. You're an amillennialist? Or you're some kind of other millennialist. You're not exactly my brand of how this plays out. Well, then you must not really believe Scripture. I've seen those sorts of things take hold. Again, there's nothing wrong with holding your view. There's nothing wrong with holding your view with, with conviction and with passion. But when you start to diminish other people because they don't necessarily agree with you, you've stepped outside the bounds of what God would have us hold. And you've developed into a mindset to where you're not seeing the whole of Christian theology. Paul warns against that. The second thing, second warning sign is we lose our ability to see people as people. Again, we, we start to, to classify people according to their view. Oh, you are a Calvinist. You are an Arminian. You are a dispensationalist. You are an amillennialist. You are a whatever. You're a cessationist. You're a continuationalist. Something we'll talk about later on in Corinthians. They become a, a title instead of a person that Christ died for. And we start seeing people through these categories. I'm of Peter, I'm of, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. We start to see ourselves through that same lens, and, and those, that tension begins to grow. And the damage begins to be done. And then third, we grant our allegiance to something less. Paul here talks about the, the baptism. And I love this section because it 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 it, it shows me that, that Paul is as he's writing, he he's he's thinking of things. Again, and sometimes sometimes when we read these letters or something, we get the idea that, that they're just and they're just I'm gonna lay this out perfectly and so forth, but you can tell Paul's kinda he's like, I d I'm I'm thankful that I didn't baptize anybody except Christmas and Gaius, and he says, um Oh, wait, I did baptize the Stephanus family. 
And there may have been someone else, and I just forgot. Okay, you get a very human kind of feel of Paul in, in those sentences that that he is, you know, he's like, well, maybe was there somebody else? Uh, I don't know. Let's let's move on. I, I need to stay with my point. Is what Paul's doing there. But this the symbol of baptism, the the, the practice of baptism, that is important. We saw it observed, as we said, you know, last week, three young ladies. It's a proclamation of faith. It's a declaration of who we are. But our Savior is more important than it is. And sometimes we, we start to wear these badges of honor, you know. Some churches I've been in, it's, I'm a charter member. You know, I'm a charter member of this church. Okay, that's great. I'm glad you were here, and I'm glad you, you played a, a big role in, in the, the birth of this church. That, that's great. That's important. Okay. But sometimes people start to wear those as almost like, that makes me better than you. That makes me more significant than you. That means my voice has a little bit more sway here than yours does. And that leads to disunity. That leads to, to disconnection. It's allegiance to something else. It's allegiance to a badge. It's allegiance to a, a symbol instead of allegiance to Christ. Instead of allegiance to the unity, to the fellowship that we've been called to. And so there, there's these warning signs that can sometimes kick in that can show us we're losing our way. We're, we're, we're wandering away from the emphasis of unity. We've become a society where unity is insignificant. Well, if, if I don't like what's going on there, I can just go down the street to someplace else. And I'm not saying you shouldn't look for the church that, that God has called you to. You absolutely should be searching for the church, for the place that God would have you serve, <coughs> where, where your gifts are going to be uh, used, where your gifts are going to be manifested, where your uh, experience is going to be all that God intended to be. If, if you're, <coughs> you know, if you're in that state, you're kind of looking around and so forth, that I'm not trying to chastise you in your search at all. People who are searching um, often are searching for very good reasons. What I'm talking about is the mindset, is the mentality that simply says, my connection to, to a body of believers is, is insignificant. Well, I can, I can just go down the road someplace else. Or we can just start a whole new church. Not being mindful of what God would have us actually do in that situation. It's just our preference. It's just our desires. It's just our commitments. Not listening, not praying, not seeking God in that decision. The one topic that nearly every letter of the New Testament mentions 
of unity. Jesus prayed for it in the Gospel of John, that we would be unified. And we lose our way when we start to negate or to lessen or to diminish that reality. There are reasons to divide at times. But those reasons need to be driven by God's word and God's desires, not ours. In dealing with this issue, Paul gives three directions to give us back, get us back on the proper path. And the first thing he tells us is that the source of our unity is our relationship with Jesus. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Not just, I, Paul, think it's important for you to be one. It's not, you know, I think this is a good idea. It's, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to be of one mind, to be of one perspective. Even if I disagree with you on any number of issues, if you are a brother or sister in Christ, we're family. We are bound together by something bigger than our opinions. We're bound together by something bigger than our hurts and our disillusionment and those times when people let us down. We're bound together by the Son of God, the one who made us, the one who shapes us. The second thing that Paul gives us is that the journey for unity is found in the mind of Jesus. And he goes on, he says, I, I urge you what? That you all agree in what you say. There be no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. That's a big ask, isn't it? That's a big request on Paul's part. Is Paul saying there, I want you all to think exactly the same way? If he is, is that even possible? No. No. It's not possible for us all to think the same way. We look at things differently. We, we see things differently. And that's part of the, the glory of how God made, made us. Paul's going to say this later on in, in chapters 12 and, and following. God made us different. He didn't make us all to be the head or the foot or the, the hand or whatever. He made us to be distinct. Why? Because we're a body. You know, every part of us is needed to work properly. And you all see things I miss. You all understand things I don't understand. Y'all have experienced things I will never experience. And that's part of the joy of getting to know you and walking with you is that I learn from you. I learn more about this world. I learn more about my God. I learn more about life 
and how to experience it to the fullest by talking with y'all. So what does Paul mean when he says, I want you to have the same understanding, the same conviction. We have the same mind. Well, I think he's hinting at something here that he'll say later on in his letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians 2.5, he says, let this, be, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to illustrate exactly what that mind is. And, and what is that mind? That mind is a mind of humility. Jesus, who did not consider it something to be grasped or controlled in terms of his identity in God, as God. And Paul challenges the church there in Philippi to to develop that same mindset, to begin to practice humility, to begin to practice an understanding of the fact that we are nothing apart from what Christ himself has done in us. Which leads to the issue of denial of self-interest. And I, and I think I'm, I'm I think I'm on target here concerning the, this question of humility because of of where Paul goes next. There in verse twelve, when he starts talking about I am of Paul and I belong to Apollos and I belong to Cephas and I belong to Christ. What's he talking about there? He's talking about people's self interest. He's talking about their mindset, the, the the kind of things that how they look at life and how they look at things and how that's dividing it. And I really think that the four uh, lists there are, are four different types of individuals you run into in the church. I think the, the first are those who I would call the loyalist. There in Corinth, you had, these, you had people that are saying, I'm a Paul. Paul founded our church, and so I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm, I'm going to be loyal to the one who founded our church. I'm going to be loyal to the one who, who taught us, the one who spent a year and a half here. The one who's invested so much in us. So I'm a Paul. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm I'm going to stand with him. And then you had those who were what I might call the stylish. I am of Apollos. What do we know of Apollos? We know one of the things we know about Apollos is that he was a very excellent speaker. Very, very apparently charismatic in his in the way he could just draw people in and people would listen to him and and, and people were were just enthralled by his the way he could turn us turn us a, a statement or he could make a point or he could make these sorts of observations. That's what we know about Apollos. And so these people are what? Man, I like Apollos' style. That man can preach. Oh man, I was moved so much by his sermon when he was here preaching with us, sharing with us? Why wouldn't anybody side with him? He's got to be the one who's right, right? And then you have the traditionalists. We're of Cephas. We're of Peter. You know, Peter is what? He's the chief apostle, right? 
He's the one who preached Pentecost. He's the one who gave directions as to what the early church was supposed to do. If there's anybody we ought to give our allegiance to, it's Peter. He knows what he's talking about. He was there with Jesus. So I'm, I'm going to follow them. And then his fourth group, they sound right, especially given where Paul goes next. I am, or I belong to Christ. Given, <coughs> excuse me, given their presence and their list, Um, given their presence in the list, this is not a positive. Okay, This is not a group that Paul's saying, yeah, they, they got it right. They are messed up. So what, what are these people? These people are the self-righteous. Wow. I don't need any of this. I don't need any instruction. I don't need anything. I got Jesus. I don't need any further help. I got my act together. And, and we see these people in our churches today, you know. Well, you know, I'm going to be Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist born, Southern Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Southern Baptist dead. Okay. All right. We got, we, we got, we got those. Man, the, those are the loyalists. Right or wrong, that's who we're going to be. I'm Baptist. I've, I've been Baptist my whole life. Okay. But I'm here to tell you, if I, if I get a sense that a denomination, a leadership, or whatever is leading or is proclaiming things that are contrary to the Word of God, that is breeding disunity, I'll be gone. I'll be gone. Not because I'm perfect, not because I got it all right, but because that's not the priority. The Word of God is priority. Then you have the stylish. And uh, I only listen to this, this one preacher. I'll, I'll listen to my preacher too, because I know I'm not stylish. But I'll listen to my preacher too. But man, if my preacher and this guy's disagreement, this guy's the right one. Because you know what? He just speaks to me. He's so eloquent. He's so great. He's so wonderful. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have your, your favorite preachers. I have my favorite preachers that I like to listen to. I absolutely do. But when it becomes, it's just this person, and this is my identity, and I'm wrapped up in who this person is, there's a problem there. Or the traditionalist. You know, I only use the King James, you know. And again, there's nothing wrong with King James. It's a beautiful translation. But if you're of the mindset that the King James is the only translation that is appropriate or, or godly, then there's a problem there. And then the self-righteous. We all struggle with that, don't we? I know I do. Yeah, yeah. I don't need anything else. I got it all together. What Paul is calling the church here is 
to deny those self-interests. To see that we have committed to something less than Christ when we made these sort of commitments. To see that the mind of Christ is a mind of humility. It's a mind of sacrifice. It's a mind of dying to self to live for others. And he brings this all together in, in verse 17 by telling, showing us that the capacity for both of these things is the cross of Jesus. Our source of unity is a relationship with Jesus. The journey for unity is the mind of Jesus. The way we get to both of those is through the cross of Jesus. Paul says if 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 my preaching or my teaching or anything is, is based upon something other than the cross, then I have what? I've emptied the cross of its effect. And if I've emptied the cross of its effect, then we are all without hope. If the church is functioning, if, if believers are functioning in a way that has forgotten the cross, then we are without hope. And we are nothing more than a social club that gets together to make business contacts and say that we belong someplace. The cross is the center of our confession. It is the path by which we develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from the cross, we would be lost. We would be on our own. We would be walking under our own power. And in so doing, we would be destined for hell. It's the cross that allows us to develop the mind of Jesus to, to think with hum, humility, to be responsive to what Christ did. That Philippians passage, Philippians 2, where Paul says, let us develop the mind of Jesus, it ends with what? Death on a cross. He humbled himself and died, even death on a cross. So it's helpful for us every every once in a while to, to just meditate on the cross and what it is. Someone put it this way, it is well that we should think sometimes of the upper room and the Last Supper and of his soul that was exceedingly sorrowful unto death, of Gethsemane and the deep shadow of the olive tree, his loneliness, prayers, his disappointment with his disciples, his bloody sweat, the traitor's kiss, the binding, the blows to the face, the spitting, the buffeting, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the smiting, the sorrowful way, and the burdensome cross. 
the exhaustion and collapse, the stripping, the impaling, and the jeers of his foes, and the flight of his friends, the hours on the cross, the darkness, his thirst, the end. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows over me. If we're going to be the people that we've been made to be, if we're going to truly be Christians, to develop the mind of Christ, to deny our self-interest, to walk in relationship with Jesus, we have to stay lashed to the cross. Remembering its pain and its sorrow, its grief, not for the purpose of being morose, not for the, the purpose of being sorrowful, but for the purpose of understanding the great price that was paid so that we might be able to live and exist at all. And to respond with humility to the fact that we are where we're at because of Jesus did what he did. He's called us to unity. And he's given us the only means by which unity will ever be achieved. When he gave his life in our place on the cross of Calvary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for each person here. That you brought us together in this place, in this room for your purposes. God, I pray that as we meditate and contemplate the realities of the cross, that you would reveal to us any part of who we are, any mindset, any perspective that we possess that does not align with the calling you gave us. when you sent your son to die there. God, I pray that if there's anyone here today who's never submitted to the gift of life, the offer of hope, the journey of transformation that the cross can bring and offer, that God, you would draw them in your power and they would respond in faith. God, I also want to lift up my brothers and sisters and myself here this morning that you would draw us back to the cross. Help us to respond with humility, with love, with commitment to your ways. Mindful of what you accomplished, what you continue to accomplish through the death of your son. Use this time, Lord, to correct us, to guide us, 
to challenge us to new heights of commitment to unity and to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.